Welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast Series, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, we have two great guests to talk about the Cologne Game Lab, which, which has its 10th anniversary this year. I'd like to welcome Gundolf Freiermuth and Björn Bartoldi, both of them directors at the Institute and two very crucial people behind its success story. So welcome to you both. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thanks for, for joining. I'm super excited to have you both and talk about the history of the Cologne Game Lab and uh, what you do these days. So before we dive into that history uh, and, and you know talk about a couple of the different areas, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves a little bit uh, to our listeners, maybe starting with Gundolf and then handing it over to Bjorn. Okay, as you mentioned, my name is Gandalf Freimuth. Um, I studied comparative literature a very long time ago and wrote novels and did a lot of stuff. And then I became a professor in Cologne at the International Film School and uh, met with Björn. Uh, and uh, we both uh, decided that uh, we should do something together and that this should be uh, game education because it did not exist. And I think I'd rather stop here. Huh? <laughs> no, you tell the whole story. No worries. No worries. Yeah, I'm Björn Bartoldi. I'm the other 50% uh, of the uh, directors of CGL and my background is a visual designer. I studied communication design in the 80s and uh, was then a postgraduate at uh, Kunsthochschule für Medien, Academy uh, Media Arts in Cologne. Started a company there for a few years, sold it to Bertelsmann and then became a professor at uh, Köln International School of Design. In these days it was the Fachhochschule Köln, uh, which now is TH Köln, Technical University Cologne. And as Gundorf mentioned, uh, we met uh, somewhere. I think it was like in a, a appointing a new professor at IFS in this context. And we mm -hmm. found out that we are both interested in digital games and we decided to team up. And uh, this marriage uh, lasts until today, I guess. Do you yeah. remember when the marriage started? I mean, you talked, it's, it talked about it. it's been a long time ago. So do you remember the year when you first met? Uh, actually, I, I found uh, the email Bjorn wrote me uh, where he proposed to do something like a, a Cologne, what, what became later the Cologne Game Lab, and it uh, was in May 2008, if I'm correct. So over over 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, 12 years ago, yeah. So yeah. we're celebrating uh, the 10th anniversary of the Cologne Game Lab this year, and uh, you know a lot has happened uh, over the course of this decade. Now there's not a lot of institutions that have such a uh, such a long and, and great history. So why don't we talk a bit about uh, what happened and how it started? I mean, obviously you guys met in in 2008. Um, Cologne Game Lab then started in 2010. Um, can you talk a bit about the first steps and you know kind of the, the first um, uh, you know thing you set up there, uh, the first students you found? I'm, I'm just curious how it all began. Maybe Bjorn starts because he started before 2008 and uh, it involves an RV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ooh, that... <laughs> Good yeah. stories always start with an RV, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, be before I became a professor at uh, TH Köln, I uh, was a freelance professor at uh, the Film Academy in Ludwigsburg, uh, where I was running a program called Virtual Design. And I Back then, it was like in the late 90s, uh, I already found it a bit strange to have a course that is called uh, virtual design. And I tried to convince the director of the uh, university to uh, start a game uh, course. Couldn't convince him because in these days, 
games were not even on the map, you know, like uh, in film schools, even television was nothing that you wanted to do. And this is kind of also the mood in, uh, in, in which Gundorf and I started to, to push the idea to found a, a, a lab in a state's university environment where games were considered to be fun, uh, cause addiction, violence, uh, like everything negative. And uh, so the first years of pushing this idea uh, were pretty much tinted by um, rejection, I have to say. <laughs> so it, uh, it needed a lot of uh, convincing work on our side, a lot of talking, a lot of writing letters, collecting money. Uh, until we uh, both started uh, the project officially uh, with our further education master program, game development and research. He's not willing to talk about the RV. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you take over. You take over. You do that. No, I cannot yeah. tell your stories, but I can go a little bit back. Actually, I, I uh, wrote a novel in, in 1989 where uh, uh, the, the hero was a programmer and the murderer. And, and he played games. I mean, that's how, uh, I mean, how, uh, so it was the same negative context, so to speak. I was playing games all the time instead of writing that novel, actually. And, and so I finally uh, gave that character um, the, uh, actually, I, I gave him my trait, playing instead of working, instead of doing your job. Uh, but of course, as I said, it was a thriller. The guy was a murderer. So I, I was part of that, how do you say, association of negativity. Uh, uh, to games. But anyhow, when we met, Bjorn told me that he had driven to Leipzig to the uh, Gamescom that was ah, yeah, there yeah. and, and that he, uh, in an RV, because he, he didn't have, I mean, nobody was paying for the hotel or anything. So he was, mm -hmm. had been driving there uh, in an RV, but he had to leave without any success. And then we met and then to get it uh, straight now, I mean, we, we applied for several programs and one program uh, we, we got awarded. It was a Create NRW. A program so we uh, uh, and that actually was a reason why we started the game lab with a further education master because that's not the logical step you would usually start with a bachelor or something like that yeah. but the money was earmarked for further education so that was our, our only choice to get the game lab running was to do this uh, further education master so they forced us to do it and i think they forced us I mean, that was good that they forced that because it was a great start. It was the right way to start uh, in 2010. Uh, once we had gotten these uh, uh, subsidies, we started with a further education master that Bjorn just mentioned with uh, five students in the gymnastic room of the uh, university. So what did it take to finally convince uh, the people with the money or you know the people with the authority to approve this uh, so you could go ahead? I mean, you mentioned it was difficult in the beginning, and I remember the time, you know, the general um, conversation in society about video games and so on. Um, a lot of it was, uh, you know, debunked later on that it's, it's, it's not what games are about. But at that time, it was tough, I can imagine. So what did it take to finally convince the people? Well, I guess in the end, the money really convinced convinced them because we we could say, well, we brought about fifty percent of the money, mm. and the university have to, and and they 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 landed this money to us, so we they didn't give it uh, to us like as a present, but uh, we had to pay it back, uh, like the other percentage it was i think uh, 20 percent uh of the whole funding mm -hmm. uh that was given to us by the university um and uh the president and we paid it back we paid every cent back yeah 
uh, and the president was uh, convinced after we've been uh, kind of working so hard on this project to get the money uh, and uh, then they finally allowed us which of course in the first uh, years meant that we were all kind of freelancers at CGL. So we were still professors. Gundov was a professor at International Film School. I continued teaching as a professor at Köln International School of Design. Um, and uh, we kind of gathered uh, a troop of people around us that all worked on freelance base uh, at CGL, uh, teaching in the game development and research program. So the first years, well, were dominated by a lot of improvisation and a lot of, uh, well, trying to get it somehow going. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. and it yeah, was. We did it, we did it on the side as a hobby, so to speak. Yeah. That's why I want yeah. to say it sounds a little bit like a like a premium passionate hobby project that that you started and and then found the people that were actually supporting you with that. So speaking of the students a little bit, I mean you said like five students were the ones that um, originally took um, that program and uh, how did you get in touch with them? Just you know uh, personal network and uh, and getting them to to do it or did you kind of advertise it? I, mean, I can't imagine it's pretty tough if you start a new program um, to you know get the people interested uh, in it. It was a mixture. I mean, uh, we, we advertised, of course, we did this. I mean, uh, and, and we gave interviews and, and, and talked to the press and stuff like that. But in the end, uh, it's a further education program. So you have, you have to pay a very small, but still you have to pay a tuition. And, and uh, Germans are not really used. Uh, they're used to the free university system. Yeah. And, and uh, so uh, that's why we started actually the program in English, because we wanted to attract international students, which we did, but not so much in the first course. So the first course uh, there were five students and two were students that I knew. Uh, mm. uh, amongst them was Linda Kruse, who is uh, um, yeah. um, uh, 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 a very successful uh, game designer and also politically very active. And she had studied um, production, film production at the IFS. And that's how I knew her. And, and when, when she heard that we would be doing this, she signed up. And uh, so I, I would say out of the five, three were um, heard about it. And the two were people who were just waiting for that and who knew us. And when they heard it, they joined us. And then, of course, it steadily grew. We have these days, we have uh, between 15 and 30, uh, 26, 77 students. We have usually 50, 60 applicants and we take in a third. Um, so now it's a, it's a, a flourishing program, but it took some years. I mean, the first years were quite hard. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, so when you had that uh, a master program for game development and, and research in the beginning, so what was the next step? Uh, you know, I, I guess you probably had some some learnings uh, to go through in the first couple of years. You mentioned that you found some you know consultants or supporters to uh, help you with the entire. Thing. So, what was the next thing that that happened um, throughout that history? Well, I guess the next point was a kind of a lucky situation because the university was proposed a, a certain amount of money for a new program uh, that that they would start at uh, a completely new pro study program. And uh, they were, we already tried to convince the presidential office for quite a while to uh, also uh, start a bachelor program, which then of course would also uh, mean that they have to hire professors, et cetera, et cetera. So a real budget. Uh, and they said, well, we don't have the money. But then there was the certain amount of uh, budget proposed by the, by the gov government of Northern Westphalia. And uh, 
many other faculties of the university. TH Köln is the largest uh, Fachhochschule of Germany, uh, University of Applied Sciences. Uh, so there were several other competitors with us uh, proposing new uh, study programs, but we were quite lucky because we've been trying to convince them for years and we've been writing papers over papers. Uh, so uh, that was all kept well by us and we uh, kind of shot from the hip and, uh, well, uh, we, we convinced well, it was them. A, it was very funny, actually, because for years we had tried to convince them to do it. And we have all, had always asked for three or four professorships and they said no money, not, not possible. But then when they had this budget, uh, they came back and said, oh, you sent us this proposal and you wanted to have four professorships. Uh, is it, does it also work with six? <laughs> yeah well i guess yeah. that was that was good news for you for you then <laughs> so i mean when you when they started when the bachelor program started uh what year was that 2014 15 the winter semester, yes. the winter term. exactly so so um i mean i guess that that attracted more students at, at that point as well i, I would assume mm -hmm. um, because i mean bachelor is more like the the entry point then so i guess for the first time you were offering something that uh, was not kind of a consecutive program but rather uh you know a, a basic uh education in in what was it called digital games as far as i remember yeah, right? digital games it was yeah. tuition Delicious, free yeah. and, I, and i remember exactly we had uh we were supposed to take in 35 33 35 students and right away we had more than 400 applicants wow I mean, people were really waiting for that. Yeah. And I mean, one good reason, I guess, for that was uh, that uh, at this time, um, most courses in digital games uh, were offered by private uh, institutions uh, in Germany. And, uh, well, the tuition fees there are substantial. And uh, as we are a state's university, of course, studying in general is for free if you're in uh, these kind of uh, grounded programs like a bachelor. But you can tell from the from the numbers because we still have some. We actually have more applicants by now. Yeah. Uh, you can tell from the numbers we take in thirty to forty every year. So that means more than four hundred we don't take in. Uh, so there's there's a pent up demand, uh, and and some of these students probably study something else. But some in the end will uh, put down the money, and and a bachelor at a private university is more than thirty thousand euro. It's a lot of money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm in touch with some of those institutions as well here in Germany, and uh, it's, it's like it's a big difference. The, the money matters uh, for, for a lot of people. But if you get like 400 um, applicants every single year um, and only select like 30 to 40 maybe, um, so how does that process look like? I mean, uh, do, do they do like the, the typical assessment center kind of thing in the beginning, or what do you do in order to filter? Well, it looks actually like a lot of work because <laughs> we ask them to submit uh, um, uh, an assignment we offer them like every year for the first year we offered them several assignments to choose from we changed that later uh, but then they kind of create something and this is between a game design document and a prototype uh, also a little bit depending on their individual specialization um, and uh, they had to write text they also had, from the beginning they had to reflect reflect on an academic text or a, a lecture uh, that we offered them uh, and they had to write a 100 word assignment about that because we from the beginning we knew that we do not only want to uh, concentrate on the artistic practice of game development but we also being a university wanted to include a, a, a big part of uh, theoretical studies uh, which are also kind of in person represented by Gundolf because he's uh, he's the 
the classical academic, why I'm with my design background coming more from a practical uh, applied studying uh, environment. Right. So, yeah, so we may, maybe we should mention that the uh, bachelor has three specializations. Mm -hmm. It's game mm -hmm. arts, game design, and game programming or gameplay programming. Uh, these are the specializations. And then, as Bjorn said, all students have to take classes in the history and, and theory of digital games or media in general. At what point mm -hmm. do students then specialize? I mean, I assume like the, the first couple of semesters, they probably do everything together. And then at some point, they, they pick a path. Absolutely. The first uh, year, the first two semesters, they study together. So the programmers have to do some drawing and uh, the artists have to do some programming. Uh, in the beginning, the most don't like it very much. But uh, in the course of the studies, they, they realized that that was an important part. And we do this mainly so that they learn about each other's specialization, which makes it easier later to collaborate in, in, the, in the projects. So actually, the first year is uh, a kind of lays a common ground and then the specialization starts in, in the third semester. And I think it's really important. I mean, speaking from an industry perspective, I mean, uh, there's nothing more important than programmers and artists understand each other and, and uh, get along well. I mean, in any game development team that I've worked with so far, the, the friction between, you know, those teams usually is one of the topics. And you know, the more people understand the other disciplines, uh, the better it is for game development in the end. So uh, I think it's really good that they do that early on. So um, I think as of now, you have um, a few more programs that you offer at CGL. So maybe you can talk about uh, what kind of different uh, programs programs you have and or specializations so that uh, our listeners get an, get an overview. Mm. So, uh, well, we added several other programs after a few years, uh, but two years ago, we started a consecutive master program in digital games, which kind of follows our BA. It is also open to uh, uh, applicants coming from outside. So people who, that did not study the bachelor at CGL. Um, and uh, we started also a program, uh, 3D animation for film and games that we do in collaboration with the International Film School. Mm -hmm. so, so we basically have now the bachelor and three masters because we still do the, the very first master, game development and research. And, and altogether we have between 300 and 350 students right now. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's and so they cool. come from over 40 nations worldwide. Yeah, that would be my next question. You kind of guessed what the next one was. I was curious, like, uh, what the diversity looks like, um, both in your in the professors and and also in the students. Um, so, uh, if you say over forty nations for the um, students that you have right now, pretty impressive, I guess. So what part of that uh, is actually, or what part in general of your program is done remotely? Do people uh, come in uh, usually? I mean, obviously, right now in the in the COVID situation, things are a little more more difficult. But how does that look like on a on a daily basis? I mean, if you had asked us a year ago, we would have had to say nothing remotely, everything yeah. on site. Uh, we, we thought a lot about doing it remotely, but uh, let's put it friendly. The university didn't make it easy. <laughs> I can't imagine. So they were not really saying, yes, please do that. Please experiment. Now, of course, uh, what we were not supposed to do, we are now forced to do, which yeah. is very interesting. Uh, and, and we hope that we can keep some of the uh, uh, progress that we have made due to the pandemic, that we can keep some of that uh, uh, digital communication and, and online learning, uh, that, 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 it don't, that all things will not go back to the old normal. I mean, we will make a big effort. Uh, but you also asked uh, about the professorship. Mm -hmm. The professorship is also very diverse. Um, we, we have um, four women and six men, which is pretty good it's not exactly 50 percent but well, it's pretty good answer, yeah. yeah pretty good i think so too we have uh, uh 
people from France. Uh, uh, I myself, actually, when I came back uh, in 2004, I mean, I'm an American citizen. But, um, I'm also a German citizen, of course. Uh, we had also with our uh, research assistants, we had we have uh, an American right now. We have um, we have definitely. I mean, I have never counted it, but I'm uh, I'm pretty sure that we sixty to seventy percent of our research assistants are uh, are not male. Mm. Let's put it that way. Let's not think so binary. They are not male. Um, so we have a great diversity in in the student body, but also amongst the lecturers and professors. So, so when you um, kind of advertise your uh, programs that you have, are you focusing on certain regions in particular? Are you mostly um, focusing on, on Europe or is it pretty much global? And uh, if it's global, I'd be curious, are there other institutions like yours that you're mainly competing with? Uh, we are in the lucky situation that we're not advertising our courses. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't, I don't... Not anymore. Not necessary anymore, I guess. Anymore. I mean, that sounds a little bit arrogant, but uh, I mean, for the BA uh, and the digital master program, which is a consecutive, uh, so it's also like uh, uh, a non-tuition fee program. Uh, I mean, it's very easy uh, to find students for those. And uh, our further education programs are the 3D, pro, uh, 3D master is still kind of in development, but it's also uh, finding great students from all over the world. It's also international. I think we didn't mention that the 3D master we do together with the International Film School. Mm. So it's a 3D master for animation for film and games. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we are in this good situation that we do not have to advertise. Um, and uh, uh, I guess for speaking for the BA, uh, it was potential student uh, starts to look around uh, which might be a potential uh, university to study at in Germany actually uh, it's not that many uh, competitors for us uh, it's just a handful of universities actually we've been writing making a book uh, on uh, studying digital games in Germany a few years ago concentrating on the state's universities uh, so uh, there's just a handful of other universities that offer comparable courses. And I would say the, the very special and specific thing about our programs is that, uh, especially in the bachelor, uh, that we have like these three columns of uh, game design, game arts and programming as specializations. Most other courses are concentrating uh, on arts or programming or game design. And we kind of try to collect the whole team that you need to make a game in one course. And uh, yeah. I guess that is uh, offering a very uh, kind of real world like uh, production situation to the students. And uh, I guess that's one of the big advantages that we can offer. Yeah, we, we also have uh, two half professorships for sound design, sound for games and for game entrepreneurship and economics. So it's a, it's a rather complete program that uh, Nobody else in Germany has uh, something like that. Internationally, um, I mean, uh, in, in, in Europe, there are two or three other big uh, game lab centers. It's the one in Tampere in Finland, uh, at the uh, IT University in Copenhagen. Um, but that's more or less it. And then if you, if you look beyond um, Europe, of course, we see that, uh, that there are huge, I mean, specifically in the United States, they're huge like Rochester or the USC or NYU. But now we're talking 
Is that is that something that you uh, recently introduced, or was the the business side of things uh, always something that you had uh, going from, from the, the start? Up? From the start, uh, this was in the original plan when we got these professorships that I earlier mentioned. Uh, then then Bjorn and I sat together and and we, we said, how do we divide them up? I mean, what what is what? And uh, from the beginning, we said we need sound and we need entrepreneurship. That was something right away. And we got very lucky because in both cases, but as we're talking about entrepreneurship, as by chance, by historical chance, we could uh, uh, attract uh, uh, the greatest candidate possible, uh, the Limpa, who had been for 15 years uh, heading uh, Ubisoft and Bluebyte in Germany. I mean, a, an extremely experienced uh, uh, candidate, so to speak. And, and uh, she started right away to, to make that an, an important part. And in the end, now we have an incubator uh, at, at the Cologne Game Lab that, that she is uh, heading. Yeah, Odile is uh, certainly great. We had a podcast episode uh, a while ago with her as well. So, uh, you know, we, we talked to her and I think our listeners uh, could really see that uh, she knows a lot about, um, you know, especially the business side of things and entrepreneurship. Yeah, we got really lucky. I mean, we had invited her over for a lecture. Uh, I remember that, that day very well. And uh, we were late for the lecture because we had an appointment and Bjorn and I came in and we watched her doing this and, and she was great. Um, and, and then after the lecture, we, we went to her and, and we didn't really think, we, uh, we thought she would laugh because she was ahead of Ubisoft. Huh? But she said, could you imagine to have a 50% professorship? And said, you know what? I'm in the process of stepping down at Ubisoft. It was a beautiful chance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sometimes, you know, all you need is a little bit of luck and, and the yeah. right timing and, and then it works out. So um, I wanted to uh, talk a bit about um, the um, practical part of uh, what you do at the university. I'm sure you probably ha also have uh, quite a few industry partners, uh, maybe not even from, only from the games industry, but also from other indus uh, industries. So maybe you can talk a bit about uh, in partnerships you have going and how they help in, uh, in your programs. I mean, of course, first we, we gather a few uh, companies from the realm of digital games around us. I mean, we since the beginning, we have a close partner partnership with Electronic Arts. Martin Norbert, he's also uh, in the advisory board of uh, Cologne Game Lab. Uh, we run an advisory board. Um, there's also um, Ubisoft, uh, of course, as one of our prime partners. We do a lot of exchange, a lot of collaboration. We bring several of their uh, experts over, uh, they teach uh, uh, at CGL. Uh, and beside that, um, I mean, as Gundorf and I uh, are kind of uh, not uh, 28 anymore, we both have a, a kind of a Vita in uh, the realm of uh, media in general. Um, Gundorf as a writer, as a journalist, uh, 
I was working for many years uh, in my own agency in television and film design, uh, founded an interactive uh, design firm, etc. And therefore, we are both pretty well connected uh, with uh, the audiovisual industry uh, or the creative industries in total. And that, of course, is a big advantage uh, that uh, we bring into uh, our collaborations with all kinds of different partners. And of course, talking about Udil, another uh, professor, just to mention one more, is Bernd Diemer, who is one of our 50% uh, uh, game uh, design professors. And he is probably one of the most prominent game designers uh, on this planet. There's probably a handful of uh, comparable uh, persons that handle a project like he did for Crytek, for um, uh, uh, help me, Gondorf, um, Dice, Dice, Dice uh, and many other big companies. Jager. Uh, Jager, exactly. Um, so, um, and of course, these are all people that kind of uh, help us to interconnect um, our students and the Institute with all kind of uh, levels. And of course, um, it is not only collaboration with industry, it is also collaboration with academia. Talking about competition before, um, we, I guess we do not really feel like we're competitors with NYU or with, uh, with Tampere or with Enjmin, uh, which is the French State University for Digital Games. We, we are, we're having close collaborations. We have collaborations also with ITU in Copenhagen, et cetera, et cetera. So, we see that as an advantage and the uh, academic family, the academic uh, uh, environment is very open and it is quite small in the uh, area of digital games. So we, I feel like we work close together and we help each other and we visit each other. We invite uh, speakers from other universities uh, as well as from industry. And this is building a great network. Yeah, it certainly. Now that you like mentioned Angemin, I just realized if you forgot, we have even one more master program, so to speak, because exactly, we do, yeah. and, and exactly. we didn't mention it. Uh, yeah. Our master digital games, there is the option to get a dual degree master and to finish your studies at Angemin and people from Angemin are coming to us. So it's a German French okay. exchange program, so to speak. And the students who do that, they get two masters, one from Angemin and one from us. Mm -hmm. Well, that's definitely a nice offering, you know, on top of what you, all the other things you, you do. So, um, Bjorni, we're talking a bit about um, the, the partnership uh, projects also in the field of academia with other universities. Uh, can you talk in general a bit uh, about the research projects that you have going on at the Institute right now, um, uh, what you're doing there and, uh, and how maybe students also involved in that? Yeah, maybe we can ping pong around a little bit, Gundorf, because it's actually we have so many activities in this field that it's uh, hard uh, to keep the overview. Um, right now, probably our largest project, and this is eventually something that you might want to talk about, Gundorf, is a collaboration with the Deutsche Museum, the German Museum in Nuremberg. We're heading it together, so we can both <laughs> talk about it. But yes, that's a, that's a very, very nice uh, project. Uh, we were approached by, by the German Museum, the Deutsche Museum. They're building uh, a branch in Nuremberg, which is a museum of the future. Um, and they asked us whether we could provide uh, a, a VR experience. I mean, the working title was Holodeck, of course, but it's, <laughs> of course, not a holodeck. But it's a, it's a time travel uh, to Nuremberg in the year 2050. And, and we currently are trying to finish that. Um, luckily enough, the uh, museum is also not finished uh, because of uh, <laughs> the pandemic. So they will not open in December as it was planned. 
they will open in March and, and that gives us a little bit more time. So that's a very fascinating uh, project. And, and uh, I mean, these projects are usually, let me say something in general about the projects. We are doing them mostly with our students or rather our master students or our PhD candidates. So that's a great way for uh, these young academics and young game designers and game artists and game programmers to uh, work in what they love without the direct economic pressure, so to speak. Yeah. Um, they can do research, they can experiment, they can uh, try to go beyond uh, the, the mainstream, the average things, they can try themselves out. That's a very important part. So yeah, we do the Deutsche Museum, but for example, Bjorn did a, did a great uh, project uh, with the Goethe, uh, the Goethe Institute. Mm. Yeah, Maybe we talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a collaboration with the Goethe Institute Boston, and uh, we've uh, been doing several things together. So, for instance, like we did a, a transatlantic gaming summit for several years at PAX East, uh, where we brought German indie developers over. But uh, one concrete research project that uh, we uh, started a couple of years ago was for the Bauhaus year, which last year we had the 100th anniversary of Bauhaus, and we created uh, a virtual exhibition. Uh, for the Goethe Institutes, which traveled around the world, which was presented in, in many countries of this planet. Parallel, that was also the German year in the United States. And uh, we've been uh, visiting South by Southwest. We've been visiting many universities. So it was a great success. And hopefully we're right now we're talking about like uh, 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 how to continue this project in the future because we want to... Uh, Kind of make that a permanent exhibit uh, eventually at the Bauhaus archive in Berlin. So um, it's a great thing. I mean, you, 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 wherever you are in the world, I tried it out. I mean, you put on the goggles and you walk through a Bauhaus in Dessau. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a quick question in between. Gundorf, you mentioned uh, PhD um, students or PhD candidates helping out with that as well. Um, as uh, I think you don't have a uh, dedicated PhD program uh, within uh, CGL, so I assume those are visiting scholars from other universities uh, helping you out? or um, No, no. I mean, uh, we are part of a uh, University of Applied Sciences. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, I mean, there's a lot of change going on, particularly in NRW, but I mean, let's say three years or four years, five years ago when we started uh, to work with PhD candidates. Um, we, uh, as a University of Applied Science, we need a university partner. Mm -hmm. So uh, we right now we're doing about 15 PhD um, uh, uh, projects, you could call them. And for example, just to give you a few, few examples, we do four or five together with colleagues at the University of Cologne, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, we uh, do one with the University of Bielefeld, one with the University of Göttingen, one with the University of Mannheim. So there, there is it's a broad uh, network of, of corporations. And so the students, the PhD candidates, they stay with us, they work with us, they're often master graduates of all programs, and uh, they do their PhD and we supervise them. But then the, um, the examination, so to speak, uh, uh, happens uh, together with that other university. Uh, I will have a, a, a PhD uh, defense on, on December 10th with uh, the University of Vanderbilt. Uh, there is a research, uh, someone, Curtis Mullen, who was a research assistant with us for three years, and he's now finishing his PhD in, in Vanderbilt. And, and thanks to the pandemic, I don't have to travel there. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I, I wish something like this existed, uh, you know, about 15 years ago or so, um, because I originally wanted to do my PhD at University of Frankfurt, and uh, I was in this weird situation that uh, I was this strange games guy who, who wanted to, uh, d you know, uh, write his thesis in that field, and uh, I had a professor who was supportive, but he was pretty much the only guy. So whenever we uh, we, we were trying to look for projects, uh, you know, w whether it was to the European framework for a seventh framework program, I think it was called at the time, or other things, it was always like, well, but we can maybe work games in there, but it's mostly about IT security or something like that. So at some point, <laughs> quite frankly, I gave up because there was just no environment that was uh, interesting enough and inspiring enough for me to stay in academia. Uh, and I decided, well, mm. let's go into the industry. And uh, I, I don't regret it, but I think if, uh, you know, something like uh, what you're doing uh, were around at that time, then uh, it would have uh, looked uh, differently for me, I think. It's exactly how it started. I remember Curtis, uh, who was, uh, I didn't know him. He sent me an email in 2014 or 15. 14 in 2014 he sent me an email and said hey i'm i'm at vanderbilt university and i'm i want to do my phd on uh, walter benjamin's the flaneur in open world games <laughs> and i thought that's wonderful this is great and and he had a yeah day i think a, a, a grant so he could come over and he came over and he was a great guy and and he liked the game lab and, and we hired him so he was three years with us yeah. and and uh, well great help uh, but but he had the problem that he had one professor over there who was very supportive, but the environment wasn't there. And when he came to the game lab, he visited. He said, "This is the environment." Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I was looking for. I was trying to convince people to um, uh, let me do research in the field of um, uh, virtual worlds, MMOs, and uh, monetization frameworks in those spaces. Something that is very important these days for uh, for game development. Back in the day, you know, nobody was really too curious about it, in at least in that environment. Uh, so it was a little bit of a sad <laughs> outcome to to that. Well, I, I think in general, what we can see, uh, see is a change in the uh, academic landscape in regards of right. digital games and uh, research. In, in general, games are now much more accepted than when we started. Uh, I mean, there little things happened like uh, Gamescom and Cologne, where people <laughs> started to recognize that it's not only strange people playing games uh, 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 sitting on their couch, but it's a, big, it's a large industry. Uh, it attracts a lot of people. Uh, the Deutsche Kulturrat, the German Council of Culture, uh, at a certain point said, well, games are a cultural good. Um, and many things came together. And uh, of course, also our work uh, doing research, artistic research, applied research. We, we're doing also very theoretical research like procedural game design, uh, uh, algorithms and stuff like that. Um, and uh, all this kind of established over the years uh, an understanding in the research community that games are uh, a solid and important part of research. And looking at digital games, for instance, like purely from the informatics, uh, it is a discipline where you find all topics you can think of right. in, uh, in computer programming and stuff. Artificial intelligence has been like a huge thing, like uh, the whole big data thing is something that in terms of player analysis is something that we're doing since quite a while, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very um, interesting field that kind of combines all these things. And um, we recognize uh, recently the last years that uh, potential research projects where other universities coming from very different fields that have nothing to do with digital games are addressing us to team up with them uh, to start research project 
Today, of course, we're grown up, we're doing the same. We're also addressing other partners to team up with us. Uh, and uh, therefore, uh, we've been able to uh, build a quite solid research base at CGL. Uh, we hired uh, a few years ago, we hired our first research manager. So a person that is really looking after the, uh, the whole uh, funding scene, uh, the latest BNBF calls, right. the... Uh, I mean, you have to have somebody who's who's into that and he, who screens the, the possible um, calls that you could apply for. And uh, now, as we have so many projects uh, going on parallel and we're working... And on we have, don't forget, and we have now a head of research. <laughs> we have a head Guardiola. of research. Our exactly. uh, yeah. professor of game design, uh, Emmanuel Guardiola, he's uh, from France. Uh, and he uh, is uh, very active in, in, in yeah. acquiring EU grants and uh, mm. things like that. Um, as you asked for research projects, maybe I, I mentioned the one that, that a big one that he finished recently. It's called uh, Antura and the Letters, and um, he, he did this actually for for the uh, um, government of Norway. And it is uh, and together with a game design studio in Lebanon and in France, it's an app for. Syrian school kids in Arabic uh, refugee camps who don't get any instruction, any school. And uh, that's Antura and the Letters. It teaches them, tries to teach them to, uh, how to read and write. And it's an app, it's in the App Store, you can download it for free. Uh, it, it, it was a very good and very successful uh, project. So, uh, and he's our head of research now, and he's very actively uh, also um, recruiting uh, good students and, and uh, advising them how I mean, of course, most students when they come to us, they they want to go into the into the industry, which is absolutely fine. But some realize that that they have intellectual, academic interests, and you have to guide them so that they can go into research. So you, you both um, uh, touched on on various um, projects that are, I think. You know, eliminating the boundaries um, uh, in terms of uh, going to other industries as well. I mean, the example that you just gave, uh, Gundolf, was one of them. Um, and, and Bjorn, you talked about this before uh, as well. So I feel like um, we are, as a games industry, we are at the forefront of um, innovation uh, a lot, and especially in times like these. You know, a lot of people are looking into games. So what do you do in that regard uh, from within the Cologne Game Lab? Do you see that same um, uh, pattern uh, evolving? Do you see that... What what, what you what the work you do and um, you know the, the students you have are they are they going to uh, other industries as well do they have an impact there uh, compared to like 10 years ago where nobody cared about games so I'm just curious what your view is on that uh, on, the, on the power of games for other industries not only uh, the entertainment sector definitely I mean to give you just an example we, we do a lot of master uh, projects and master thesis together with companies or institutions from other areas. For example, we did one master thesis together with the European Space Agency. And, and we are now going to do one uh, master thesis together with uh, Deutsche Bahn Systems, who are uh, thinking and researching about smart cities. Mm -hmm. And uh, in both cases, our students went there, started to work and said, okay, I want to do my master in, in digital games in the field that I'm researching at the space agency and I'm researching at the Bond systems. So th th these are two examples how, uh, where people who uh, have certain skills, game design, gameplay programming, uh, are uh, yeah, hired 
away from the game before they finish uh, from from other institutions and and then we do these projects together and, and help them finish doing their MA. Do you have insights into where you students go after they complete their studies? I mean, are most of them going into the more traditional games industry or do you feel like the majority is going into other industries? Well, I guess most students really want to make games after right. they graduate from CGL. Uh, but as we know, the German games industry uh, is not the largest on this planet, so uh, not all of them end up in the games industry. Well, we're working actually, on changing that, I got to say. <laughs> we're working on changing that. And I mean, looking just at Cologne, at the Cologne area, uh, we uh, have a large growth of new startups uh, in the games uh, world, uh, many of them initiated by graduates of CGL. So this was something from the beginning we had in mind to uh, inspire. And that's also one reason why we have uh, economics as one teaching part at CGL. We wanted to inspire uh, young people also to um, courageously uh, go into industry and start their own businesses. And this is really something that works out pretty well. There are a few companies that, that originate from CGL. And uh, on the other side, we have graduates that are in uh, game developing studios worldwide. So uh, I guess um, this is working out pretty well. But as you said, there are, of course, also uh, students that graduate and go to other industries, into advertising, into digital agencies. Several of them also went into uh, academia. We have also first professors uh, who graduated from CGL uh, that are teaching now at other universities. So uh, the range is pretty large, but the deepest wish of all our graduates is, of course, to make games. I can, I can imagine that. So there's one um, uh, last thing I wanted to um, uh, talk to you about, and that's the Clash of Realities uh, conference that you host every year. Um, you know, this one, this this uh, episode has just happened. Um, uh, so can you talk a bit about, uh, you know, that uh, show and uh, that, that conference and what it meant for it this year in 2020, where things are a little different? <laughs> so I'm just uh, uh, curious wh uh, how, how satisfied you were this year and what it is about in general. It finished uh, almost 24 hours ago, yeah. yesterday evening. And uh, it, it was absolutely great, I have to say. I mean, I, we, we were talking. We were talking about today. Uh, how can we uh, kind of rescue some of these new things that we were forced to do? How can we bring them over to the next year when we hopefully will do the conference in the real world again? But we should keep uh, some of these elements that we had. I mean, one one big advantage, of course, was that we we, we always have very international speakers. Uh, but usually, I mean, the audience is not that international I and mean, people are not flying from the US or from Japan to uh, come to Cologne for our conference. The speakers do, but not the audience. And yesterday, the audience could also come from everywhere and they did come from everywhere. We had uh, twice as many reg registrations uh, than the year before. I mean, it's a big conference. We usually have about 400 guests during these two uh, days uh, at, at the Cologne Game Lab, and yesterday it was twice as many. So that was was, was great, and it was uh, it, it worked actually. We have to say it was technically perfect, uh, which uh, was our main fear that it would uh, not really work out. And and it was uh, it was uh, people were we, we got enthusiastic uh, uh, feedback, and and uh, I mean I was sitting here in this, the chair I'm sitting. I'm full disclosure. I'm sitting in Berlin right now. And uh, it, it was so much fun. I mean, we had the last thing at, at the top speaker. I mean, the closing keynote was Janet Murray, the legendary Janet Murray from 
uh, Georgia Tech, I mean, who in 1997 with Hamlet on the holodeck kind of founded game studies. And, and uh, she's 74 and, and she wouldn't have traveled to Cologne, uh, but she gave a wonderful, great 50 minute lecture that was, uh, that was enlightening. It was beautiful. It sounds, sounds really great. Can you talk about some other highlights that you, that you saw during the show? Definitely. Uh, we always start the conference with the Young Academic Summit. Uh, and that, that, was, uh, that was actually an initiative that came from our researchers because they said, well, we have so many talented young people working on our research projects or writing their PhDs or whatever. And we want to offer them a stage to pitch their uh, own research uh, papers, their uh, conceptions of research, etc., and just give them a platform. And this is something that we're doing since a couple of years now, and it's super successful. We have a call for papers, and they're really piling uh, uh, at CGL because there are so many uh, young academics from all around the world uh, that want to be part of that. And this time, we also had uh, interesting speakers. It was Dan Pinchbeck from the Chinese Room, Great Britain, dear Esther, probably many of the listeners know uh, this great studio. And he's not only a great uh, game designer and game developer, but he's also a very skilled uh, academic and he holds a PhD in this field. Uh, so this is kind of how we kick off. And then usually, and we kind of to uh, do that uh, with this uh, clash of realities as well, we have a summit day usually uh, uh, where we split into different groups and there's, for instance, the game development summit or the game studies summit, et cetera, et cetera. So like going in many different fields, also with our partners, for instance, the um, International Film School does a summit usually on uh, games and film. So there's like a, a, a split program into many tracks. And on the main day, we usually have uh, just keynotes. And the general, the basic idea behind Clash of Realities is that we have a, a good mixture between academic reflection and uh, artistic practice on the other side. So we, and this is also, I guess, one thing where we differ a little bit uh, from many other uh, conferences that, for instance, concentrate a lot on uh, just making games. Right. And we include that together in a dialogue with people that reflect on making games or the people that write about uh, problems or questions that arise uh, in the context of making games. And I think that's it's a small conference in the end, but uh, we have a, a really good uh, list of great speakers, the who is who of uh, academics and uh, developers uh, from all around the world that visit us for, for this um, really great uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, that's why, why we should mention that this year for the first time, it wasn't only <laughs> online for the first time, but for the first time, we also had a 50% partner. We did it yeah. together with, with uh, our colleague, Benjamin Bayer from the University of Cologne. So this year, it was a joint project of the, the two universities. Uh, one thing that, that, that was also great, um, which we couldn't have done without the pandemic, we had a virtual tour through the Strong, the National Museum of Games in Rochester, New York. Nice. And uh, that, that, was, that was really cool. I mean, obviously, they couldn't bring the museum over to, to Cologne for something like that. And in, in normal times, we wouldn't have come up with the idea to have a virtual tour. And, and to, I mean, two or three years ago, once you, when you had a speaker via Skype, or it was always a disaster. It was terrible. Nobody wanted it. Yeah. And now we finally figured out how to do it. And 
for example, this virtual tour of, of a museum at the other end of the world, this is an added benefit. It's one of the things that I would like to keep once we yeah. return to the real world. Yeah, I think a lot of people learned this year how to integrate uh, digital concepts into uh, what usually were, uh, was a, um, a physical conference. I mean, DEFCOM, the thing we, we do here right now, yeah. you know, this is, is an example for that. We had to rethink the entire concept uh, in a year of a pandemic and uh, didn't have much time to do it. So it's uh, it's very interesting what we're all learning at this point. And I can certainly tell that you guys are super passionate about uh, the Clash Realities and, and what you accomplished there. So uh, it's, it's, it sounds really great. Uh, in terms of passion, and there's as uh, well final thing I wanted to ask you I mean obviously 10 years uh, long time already doing this what's gonna come up in the next 10 years uh, are you still hungry are you still uh, you know you still still see innovation uh, coming up uh, what do you have planned <laughs> I mean you, you get hungry every day right you have to eat every day so we're still hungry of course <laughs> I was more I was more talking about the you know the academic know. sense of the word I know no, I mean, we, we have a lot of uh, ideas and projects I mean I don't know about most of them we, we are not really we cannot really speak about them but uh, we, we are planning several big uh, research projects and also maybe a little lab addition to the Cologne game lab mm -hmm. dealing with virtual reality and 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 uh, new methods of uh, uh, producing audiovisual content um, do you see major and, industry trends right now um, having an impact on uh, your teaching there at the uh, you know at the Cologne game lab anything that changes the game a little bit <laughs> no I mean <laughs> it, yeah go ahead, go ahead. well Interesting, because when we when we started the CGL ten years ago, <laughs> I wanted to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we invited uh, uh, colleagues from the industry over to for several workshops because, uh, as a real university, you have to go to an accreditation process. You have to write a lot of yeah. papers and describe the program uh, in, in words. And uh, we had several uh, colleagues uh, from from various uh, developers and. Of course, they want to write you something in your task list, like you know, like for mobile games or this technology or that, and we kind of resisted to do that uh, because we think it is more a general mindset uh, that we want to hand over to our students. We want to make them creative uh, people. We want to make them critical thinkers. We want to make them being able to interconnect uh, an academic view on games with. The artistic practice, etc., etc. So, uh, in the end, in the, uh... in the industry, the industry <laughs> only knows what they need next year. Maybe the year after, they have no clue what they need in ten years. We don't even but know what students... we need next year. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, and our students have to work 40, 50 years yeah. after that. So we have to give them, as Bjorn said, a mindset. We have uh, trained them how to learn, how to adapt, how to, to develop, and actually how to create the future they will be living in. They shouldn't be passive objects of a future that somebody else creates. Mm -hmm. They are supposed to create the future of digital games. So, no, we, we don't uh, teach them what the industry wants to have next year. <laughs> so that's a, that's a great... We do that as well on the side, it happens, but that's not the focus. The focus is yeah. to create creative uh, thinking and creative uh, individuals. It's a great uh, concluding statement to this episode. Uh, I want to uh, thank you so much, um, Bjorn and Gundolf, uh, for all those insights that you provided in, the, in this episode. Super excited to see where Cologne Game Lab is going to be in 10 years. Uh, and uh, I wish you all the success um, that you can possibly have. Uh, thank you again for being part of this. It was great fun.
Thank you. It was fun for us as well, I figure. Huh? Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast, presented by DevCom.Global, produced by Sven Vosing. Executive producer, Stefan Reichart. Music by WeLoveIndies.com. Supported by Biodynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany.